Hey, what's up everybody? This is Mike, and welcome to the Mike Mantel Podcast. This is a podcast where I talk with different leaders and explorers of consciousness, intimacy, and personal growth. Today I talked with a man named Joshua Hathaway, and his nickname, he told me this at some point, or his spirit animal maybe is Thunder Dragon. And ever since then I've just gone by calling him Thunder Dragon because it it truly fits this man. I, for some reason, it, it really, it really fits. He's, he's a beast. He's a, he's a beast. He's a giant man physically. He's a giant personality. He's, his heart is giant. He's, he's ferocious. I, I, I love this guy. Uh, and I, I look up to him quite a bit. I met Joshua originally because I did a retreat, a men's leadership intensive retreat that he co-facilitated with a group called the Brotherhood Community with two collaborators, Peter P. Rubes Rubin and Robert Schwinkler. And it was a really impactful retreat for me. We touch on it a little bit in this conversation. Yeah, uh, I had such a, honestly, I had I had a blast talking to Joshua in this, this conversation. We talked about so much stuff. We talked about relationship and intimacy and how you can't really hide your shit in relationship and intimacy, unlike in the environment where we throw away a carton of milk and we never see it again. Little do we know, it just gets pushed into this giant pile of trash somewhere, but we don't see it. We, we can just dispose of our garbage in life and nothing happens. But in a relationship, you can't do that. It's a closed loop, so anywhere, anytime you throw away shit, it comes back up. So we talked about that. We talked about what it means to go unconscious and fall into bad habits that don't serve us. I opened up a bit about some of the life struggles that I've been going through recently, essentially around going unconscious for an extended period of time. We talked about fear, the nature of fear. We talked about men's work and what that field means, the offerings that Joshua has, and the importance of male intimacy. And then we talked about poop positivity, which uh, was a fun one at the end there. Dude, it was such a righteous conversation. I had a total blast with this man. <laughs> it was. He's he's just he's a playful, humorous uh, man, full to the brim of wisdom. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. As I mention in every introduction, this podcast means a lot to me, and it's been a real journey for me to get here. And even you listening to this episode is support that I very much appreciate. If there's anyone you can think of that might enjoy this episode, feel free to fling it their way. Uh, I would appreciate that. Hopefully they would too. And if it feels resonant to do so, please give this podcast five stars on iTunes or whichever platform you use. I would be supremely appreciative for the support. Alright folks, I hope you have a wonderful day today. I hope that today is a day where... Boy, if you could just extend yourself an inch more compassion than you're used to doing... I think that'd be wonderful. That's something I'm practicing right now, giving myself a little bit more compassion and gentleness and oh, it feels so good. And so I hope the same for you. All right, you amazing person. Have fun listening and I will see you in there. Peace. Well, maybe we can start what you were talking about. And I don't actually fully know what you meant, but when you said there are no toilets in a relationship, yeah, man, there's no toilet in a relationship. You know, we have gotten in the habit as modern, postmodern information age human beings of just being able to like put our shit in something and, and just make it disappear, right? I just, I shit in mm. a toilet and I mm. press a little button and it disappears and I never have to think about it again, right? Unless, <laughs> unless my plumbing gets plugged up, right? Uh. And then all of a sudden shit's overflowing in my bathroom, right? Um, very mm. rare, very rare occasion, right? If I have garbage, if I've, you know, bought a bunch of stuff and that stuff was wrapped in other stuff and the, the wrapping was wrapped in other stuff, I can just put that thing in a box and it goes away. It's just gone. Right. Um, but a relationship is a closed system in a certain way like that. Um, there's no away for our shit in relationship, Right. Nobody wants there to be shit in a relationship, but every, every, every system, every ecosystem has shit. And so 
the question isn't like, do we get to have shit in a relationship? The question is like, what do we do with our shit in, in our relationships? Right? Yeah. Well, dude, that's a really great metaphor. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to think about it because, you know, so many relationships, it's like, um, I know that I was trained that early, early stages of a relationship are just like impress this person, you know, like, like make sure that they don't see any of your shit. <laughs> you know, don't, don't bring any shit. Um, but that's impossible, of course. And so some, we're hiding our shit somewhere in the early phases of a relationship. If we're playing this sort of, um, the learned game of inauthentic relating. Um, and then some, uh, eventually the closet starts stinking, right? Uh, eventually the house is full of the smell of the shit that we haven't been like actually processing in the relationship. Um, and you know, either the relationship gets completely toxic and we go into like, like sepsis basically <laughs> in the relationship or we have a real reckoning and we, we, we start learning how to process our shit, you know? Right. Well, I'm curious, do you, in relationship, do you strive for just utter 100% transparency? This is something I often wonder about if it is the move always to say what's true and what's on my mind and what's real, or is there ever space to internally process and withhold? Uh, I'm curious what, what your take on that has been. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not so much of a purist. I think I've been more of a sort of idealist in the past around that. Yeah, I, I don't think that a relationship is is like a dumping zone for whatever sort of crosses your mind in any given moment or any sort of flinching of a particular sort of um, experience. Um, I think just because there's so much that's like, you know, there's so many different kind of movies and commercials playing on the screen of my mind at any given time, like there, that none of that, not all of that is necessarily meaningful or valuable or important to bring into a conversation with my partner or my friend. Um, now, depending on the nature of the relationship and my primary like romantic relationship is that for sure. Um, uh, if it's a relationship that's built on the basis of, of like, we're here, um, as sort of partners in life and here to be the greatest allies that we have in each other's lives for healing and growth. Then if I have a persistent niggling sort of thing going on, then I'm definitely going to bring it up as soon as, you know, as soon as I can create a container for it. Like, Hey, I've got this thing coming up. Can I share it with you? Right. That's what we, that's, that's what we do with our shit is we, we, you know, it's part of this, this whole metaphor is like, what can we do in a relationship with our shit? The only thing we can do, we can't flush it away. It doesn't go away. It only at best can become compost. It only at best can be brought to a space in the ecosystem of our relationship where we can process it where we can turn it, where we can throw other things on it and turn it into soil for um, a more sort of fruitful um, connection and relationship later on. Right. Right. Yeah. That's cool because, yeah, I guess I like that word niggling too. That really, I don't know. I've, I've felt niggling things in relationships before. And I guess I find when I don't speak those or put, put that shit into the compost, it's almost just like having a turd in like an airtight box that just keeps getting like stinkier and stinkier because I'm not putting it out there totally, to compost. Totally. It's, <laughs> it's not having a chance to, uh, to metabolize. Right. And it can't, it can't just compost on its own. It needs other elements. It needs the worm. It needs the, it needs some, you know, some, some straw. It needs other things in order to become healthy soil, you know? Um, and, and that's, what we kind of just have to get used to and accept. And I think honestly that like a baseline for a healthy relationship is a relationship in which both people are willing to take responsibility when they take a shit on the living room floor. Right. Like we all have those moments when we just take a shit on the living room floor in our relationship. And like, we've all experienced those moments when the person who took a shit, you just watch them take a shit and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no shit. <laughs> you know yeah. or like or like they walk out of the room and walk back in and they're like did you just take a shit on the living room floor and you're like i just watched you take a shit yeah. they're like no that wasn't me that was you <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah oh man dude yeah hearing you say that i feel i've just been so often guilty of for me like i won't blame the shit on the other person but i'll take a shit and i'll just pretend like mm -hmm. it's not there i'll just it's like 
it, it's just like clearly we're eating dinner. It's on the table oh between God. both of us. We both see it. We both smell it. And I'm just pretending like I, I didn't <laughs> totally. do anything or I have nothing to, nothing like to maybe say. Maybe if I don't say anything, like they won't see it and they won't smell it, you know, like maybe we can get through dinner. Yeah. And maybe it'll yeah. just go away. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious, and maybe this would be hard to parse out, but I'm curious what kind of shits you, you see there to be when, or as far as pooping in relationships. Because yeah. I can think of some off the top of my head, like niggly things that I need to say, or like if I've wronged my partner, if I haven't told the truth fully, or maybe I've just shown up in a way that's non, that I don't consider to be admirable, or maybe I'm hiding part of myself. Are there other types of shits or major shits that you've come into touch with? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think you've named some beautiful ones. Uh, I have a I have an example of a time uh, very recently where I I got into a little flirt on a Facebook com- uh, comment thread, um, and I I felt myself like crossing the line on the flirting, like like sending like jackhammer gifts, you know, <laughs> just just give you like a, a sense of like where it went. You know? <laughs> like I think I crossed the line there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like I like so I took funny. a shit like in public on Facebook, you know? <laughs> and like yeah. kinda hoped my partner wouldn't find it knowing she would. And like had I been really on my game, I would have just been like, Hey babe, <laughs> like I just took a shit on Facebook, like in the middle of the quad, you know? Um and I just want to see how you feel about that. And, um, and unfortunately, like I didn't give myself permission to, to, to have that con- conversation with myself fully consciously. So I kind of just like closed Facebook and walked away. Um, and then she came to me the next day and was like, Hey babe, can I talk with you about something? You know, she like, she, she made it known that, th- that there was a thing she wanted to talk about and she brought it so compassionately and with such clarity and with such grace. And she's like, I noticed this comment thread. And I was like, oh, the comment thread. Yeah. Um, and so we chatted about it. We discussed different possibilities. And um, in the end, like, she was just like, I just want to know, like, is this the kind of thing that you want to be able to do? Um, you know, how do you feel about it? And, and I was like, you know, babe, you know, I, I actually really felt like I was crossing a line as I did it. And so I took total responsibility for the shit. Um, when it was brought to my attention and in the most impeccable, um, in my most impeccable self, I wouldn't have waited for her. I would have brought it to her attention. Right. Um, but I ended up just sort of following up on that thread and saying, Hey, I noticed that I got a little carried away with this flirting. Um, and just kind of cleaning it up in public right there on the thread, you know? Um, so I did a little public pooper scooping, um, and had a great little sort of mini exchange with uh, um, the the lovely woman who I was flirting with, and uh, and just got that all cleaned up and handled, and I feel clearer. But the the difficult thing about those kinds of shit is that we have this. I am I'm becoming more and more conscious of my tendency to go unconscious, which is a fun and an aggravating process, because I, I I literally will will like will like watch myself. Or like wake up moments later after I went unconscious to make a decision. And this has been something I've struggled with because I've struggled with a, an addiction to tobacco for a really long time. I feel really happy and, and empowered to share that I'm, I'm winning the shit out of that fight right now. And I'm tobacco free. I'm a non-smoker and I love it and I'm happy. Awesome. But there have been so many times when I have woken up 10 or 15 minutes after going unconscious and going to buy a cigarette or to bum a cigarette or to get a cigarette when I, when I, I turned off my conscious decision-making mind and I allowed scripts to run. Um, and then I would be like, Whoa, I just went unconscious. And, and so it's hard to, it's harder to do in relationship. I think harder to sort of wake up to some of those unconscious behaviors because they're so deeply ingrained. But, um, but when we, uh, when we have unconscious communication habits, when we do have withholdings, when we have something that's niggling that we're not sharing, either a judgment or a frustration or, um, or you know, something that, you know, I know that I did that might cause harm to my, more pain to my partner, but, uh, but I don't want to say it, but I, I, it needs to be said. Um, you know, all kinds of those things. Or, you know, as in the case of my smoking, when I'm, 
um, when I'm doing something that I know is not good for me and doesn't really serve my relationship, right? Um, at least being conscious about it and taking ownership of the decision that I'm making so that I can, so we can be in dialogue about it. Yeah, I, I, I really like the way you described going unconscious because, I mean, obvious, I can relate to that in so many aspects of my life. And usually it's when either some sequence of old habits takes over that's that's generally like looking for short-term pleasure or something and is often not for my best interest. And and sometimes I can like snap out of it and either, I'll either be conscious and like watch myself do it, um, but at least I'm watching myself do it, or I can take over and, and shift course. And I'm wondering what, if you're in relationship and you're in an unconscious loop, how, how have you been able to um, re- regain consciousness and regain agency and, and snap out? Well, one of the keys I've noticed is that uh, there's a negative feedback loop around this stuff when we don't have the capacity to meet ourselves with compassion. Mm. So to the extent that I can meet the part of myself that went unconscious and made this unconscious decision again, um, to the extent that I can meet that with, with, um, with mercy, with gentleness, with loving kindness and compassion, then to that extent, I am going to wake up faster. I am going wow. to recognize yeah. what I've done faster. But I literally, like, there's a wall. There's an invisible wall in my consciousness. If I can't muster the capacity to bring kindness and compassion to myself um, upon waking up, then I will keep myself asleep, right? I will, I will, um, I, I will uh, likely sort of uh, remain unconscious or just will keep that walled off, right? So there's this, there's this um, exquisite relationship between our capacity for compassion and our ability to grow as human beings and become more conscious that I think is really underestimated and misunderstood in our culture, right? We're such a, like, we our, our cultural sort of milieu is so um, warped by this idea of original sin and we are this like evil thing that has to be sort of reshaped and it requires force it requires like you know um the hammer on hot steel to make a thing to, to make us more sort of good or more sort of awake or more evolved or more whatever it is um uh, and and yet it's actually truly and most exquisitely our capacity to soften and be in a compassionate state of loving awareness of that wounded part of ourselves that is acting out again that I think accelerates our growth most um, most powerfully. Ooh. Man, I am resonating with that so deeply right now because I've I've been on I'm coming out of like a two week. I could just call it like a life torpedo. Essentially, I, I I went unconscious for two weeks would be one way to say it in this framework. But in every aspect of my life, like my almost like 80%, like my relationships, I felt unconscious and I, I wasn't behaving as my best self and in diet and in like my meditation practice. And I was just watching myself go about all of these behaviors that I, I didn't really want to do and I didn't think were good for me. And I had no compassion either. I was so hard on myself, which just perpetuated the cycle deeper and deeper until I eventually snapped out of it. And the thing that I discovered coming out as I'm healing from that process, yeah, the first thing was like, holy shit, there's been zero self-compassion for, for a while. And and a question I'm, I'm sitting with around this that I'd be curious to hear your input on, and I, I also acknowledge it's kind of an impossible question, but part of what sucked me into this pro this space of unconsciousness was coming from a, a place of time scarcity and money scarcity and it was coming from this real desire to like be something in the world and to achieve my goals and to like do and to create and i think all of those things are important like i want to achieve my goals i want to have impact on the world and when i was in that space i completely lost sight of the perfection of this moment I completely lost sight that like, wow, things are beautiful. Nothing needs to change. And I'm discovering life to be this balancing act between life is completely beautiful in this moment and perfect. And I want to create something. I want to change something. I want to do something. And I got so lost in the in the latter. I, I completely lost track of the former. And the impossible question I have is, I don't know if how, how you're able to balance those two. 
the the state of now is perfect and the state of I want to take action to change something. Mm. Such a beautiful fulcrum, man. It's something that we all have to face. This is yin and yang. This is the this is the innate um, polarity, right? And you know what I want to say is I'm I'm also getting more and more sort of honest with myself about um about my triggers, about the things that send me into a state of sort of um, a disharmonious state or a, a sort of shadow state of, um, of, of unconscious behavior. And it's often moving away from an anxiety that is at, it's at, at its root caused by, you know, some discontent with what's going on in the moment, right? Um, and so, you know, it is when I feel the most anxious that I'm most likely to uh, employ an unconscious strategy, whether that's, you know, go get a cigarette or, um, go get a beer or my, my sort of addictive mentalities are, you know, go get food, go, go, you know, go numb out in some way, go take my attention off of the sort of core anxiety. And so the path becomes for me again and again to bring that very sense of everything is okay to that core anxiety of oh my god like the world's going to fall apart if I don't sort of fill in the blank and find that sort of anchor point where I am moving from a space of freedom moving from a space of 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 choice not compulsion right as one of my favorite um my favorite teachers um Reverend Deborah Johnson from the Inner Light Ministries here in Santa Cruz has said again and again Pain pushes us until vision pulls us. Um, if we're being pushed around by the pain, um, you know, that's only going to get us so far on the journey. And that will get us, you know, that will get us down, down the road. Um, a lot of people's journey of, of growth has been, you know, just a desperate attempt to get the fuck away from some pretty serious pain or depression or addiction, right? But at a certain point, all of us have to be have to replace the sort of moving away from pain with moving toward a vision of something. Um, and as anybody who's been on a journey on any kind of journey and had a vision of getting somewhere has experienced like like getting anxious and hurrying on your way to the goal um, not only uh, often makes it uh, makes the journey longer. <laughs> but it definitely makes the journey suck. Yeah, right. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's about, it's about sort of reconnecting. What is the, what's the vision? What is the vision that I have that's, that, that's drawing me forth into, um, into action and not sort of what's the, what's the pain that I'm trying to avoid by taking this action. You know, those are just two ways of, of orienting ourselves to what, fruitful action might look like and feel like on the inside yeah 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 and dude it's so true as far as being anxiety driven on a journey i i find for myself in so many ways that's when i'll trip over roots and fall down and get lost because i'm rushing and uh losing track of where i'm where i'm going and losing track with where i am yeah well essentially essentially you're you're letting fear be your fuel you know like you're letting fear dictate your your actions and I, I've just watched again and again, like whether it's people who, I, you know, I, I was a I was a physical education instructor for years. Oh, I didn't know that. I taught a bunch of people how to ride how to ride bikes and how to mountain bike, how to how to rock climb, how to kayak, how to do all these things. And I can tell you that a mind that is in fear is almost inevitably going to create what it is most afraid of. I've watched it happen again and again and again. And so it's, it's really like I learned as an instructor that getting people into a state of no fear, of, of like, like using whatever means at my disposal, whether it's distraction or whether it's, you know, mindfulness techniques, breathing, somatic techniques, um, humor, whatever it is, getting people just, just creating a little gap in their fear so they can try the thing in the gap. Um, is is such a powerful technique and we can do it for ourselves all the time but when we do a thing in fear we do it from this contracted place that we're almost certain to sort of fuck it up 
you know, we're almost starting to create what we're more so committed to in that moment. Dude, yeah. And especially I find as an entrepreneur, I, I mean, I do have a vision, sure, but often I don't know what the next step is going to be till I take it. And then new data reveals itself. And then I take another next step. But I can feel when my next step is coming from fear. And it's it's not the step I want to be taking. It's never really pointing me where I want to go. It's, oh man, making life decisions from a place of fear is, that's ultimately just or at least I'll speak in first person, my my life path is being driven on a path that's carved by fear. And that's so weird to think about if if I let fear choose my life and choose where I want to go and choose the vision for my life. It just It's just such a terrible idea when it like saying it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I, and I've gotten into this debate with our mutual friend, Peter Rubin. Mm, P. Rubes. Like, um, and the P. Rubes, vitamin P. Vitamin P. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he and I differ. I, I tend to think that fear is actually um, like a virus. I don't think fear is an essential. Um, I don't think it's an essential um, emotion. I think that we might evolve beyond fear. Um, I think fear is kind of a holdover of a of a of, of an evolutionary kind of holdover, like our like our wisdom teeth. Um, uh, I think fear is this weird, this weird thing that um, one of my axioms is that it's impossible to be afraid of what's actually happening. Like it is, you can try it as much as you want, but you can only ever be afraid of what might happen. Like even when you're, you know, even when you've just fallen off of a hundred story building and you're at, you're at sort of story 50, you're not afraid of what's happening. Right. You're afraid of what's about to happen. That's interesting. And after you hit the ground, you're either dead or you're filled with adrenaline and trying to figure out how to survive, you're not afraid. Or if you're afraid of something, you're afraid of what your recovery process is going to be because you have a bunch of broken bones and you're not sure if you're going to live. Yeah, it's not past you know, oriented again, either, like, just future. That's interesting. No, no. It's only future oriented. And, and it, it has a trigger in the past, right? Our trauma is definitely like, um, it is, it, it's related to the past insofar as we imagine that the past is going to be repeated in some way or something that has happened before might happen again or something we saw in the past might happen, right? But but I think I really do um, live it from this place that I think that fear um, is inessential, that it, it's all, it's always going to actually um, uh, turn us away. Some people are like, no, you have to listen to your fear. And I'm like, no, like you don't have to listen to your fear. You have to acknowledge that you're afraid and you have to get yourself into a state of love or a state of acceptance or either peace again, because we don't need fear to make good decisions. <laughs> like that's the that's the whole like that's the whole like fallen nature genesis kicked out of the garden whole like that's part of that whole paradigm is like is like oh no no like we have to have fear in order to make smart decisions about survival and how to live it's like uh, no well you know no, that's I really I don't, I don't buy it that's really interesting concept I, I like this fears a virus thing because in in my meditation practice a couple years ago, I was experiencing overwhelming fear. It was like the the theme of my my life, and eventually, it, it actually stemmed from like a highly, I, I I'll just say it was traumatic traumatic acid trip that I encountered terror. I, I was overwhelmed with terror for what felt like infinity, and then for a while I was just dealing with intense fear for for a couple years. And the thing about fear that I realized is. I don't actually know that fear is malicious in and of itself. It feels like a virus and that all an organism that simply wants to reproduce and create more of itself. And the way that it creates more of itself is that it'll give me a thought. Like, let's say um, the thought is I'm uh, about to fall. Uh, I'm about I'm going to run out of money or something like that. And as soon as I believe the thought, then it creates more fear. And then fear creates more thoughts. And I, I believe those and it creates more of itself. But I don't find it to be evil. It just it it almost just seems like in natural selection, the way animals want to reproduce or bacteria wants to reproduce, it's just this like thing that wants to reproduce itself. But I guess the one thought I have around the value of fear, or one place I've seen value in fear, is I don't know, sometimes a feeling of scarcity, which seems to be fear rooted, can drive me to do things that are good for myself that I wouldn't otherwise do or to take action I wouldn't otherwise take. So the example that comes to mind, recently I was very feeling great uh, scarcity around money 
and I just went into my finances and just got fucking waist deep in there and it felt so good and just I, I just organized them for hours and I now have like a clarity of my finances I'd never had before because from a place of fear I was I was freaking out and so I just went in there and just got dirty there's a sense in which I've seen scarcity cause me to do things that have ultimately been good for me that I don't know that I would have done otherwise yeah I think that's I think that's super reasonable and again the question it becomes a circular argument around like would you have needed fear to do that do you, did you really need fear to do that or is that just how you've been trained right like like is it is it possible that a couple generations down the road when we're no longer training our children um through fear and shame and threat um that that we won't that no none of us will need fear that things like shame and fear will be like objects in the emotional museum that kids go and visit and hear stories from their grandparents about you know like like is it possible that we can collectively decide that we no longer want to operate along those principles and practice something different um and and have that become a, a multi-generation project right that that would be that would be my multi-generation project and i have to say that um that with my own son um, he's certainly not fearless. He certainly is not without fear. Um, certainly doesn't, isn't incapable of shame. But I think that one thing that his mom and I did did a pretty damn good job of is to raise him without a sense of um, feeling threatened or made to um, think that he had to do something in order to sort of have our um, acceptance or our love. And he wasn't motivated by fear to do a lot of these things. Um, you know, as a a kid who was unschooled for seven years from second grade through eighth grade and then decided on his own to go into a high school, like a more academic high school situation after literally like not having to do any kind of academics he didn't really want to for seven years. Um, he was super nervous, right? And he's now a junior. That was his freshman year. He's now a junior. He's carrying a 4.6 GPA. He's buying for valedictorian of his school. He just, uh, you know, got invited to apply for a summer at Stanford with 300 other high school students. And I'm like, it's all him. Nobody, there's nobody driving him. There's nobody pushing him to do what he's doing. He does it because he loves it. He does it because it, it, it excites him. And he gets anxious about it for sure. Like he, he gets himself worked up into anxiety about, about completing his work and doing well on tests. But it's not like um, it's not it's neither shame nor fear per se, um, or any externalized kind of fear that that really make it so. Yeah, you know that makes sense to me. Like any useful action that I or anybody takes from a place of fear, that action could doesn't didn't need to be taken from fear. Uh, it it could have been taken from a place of wisdom, clarity, love, compassion, etc. Also, I want to uh, change gears a little bit because something I wanted to ask you about was the field of men's work, because I, of course, know that you're in the field of men's work as I've done a retreat and online program with you, and I myself am getting deeper and deeper into the field of men's work. For starters, and I'd, I'd like to just hear you talk about what the projects that you've got going, but for starters, I'm curious, how would you describe what men's work is, if, if that's a term that you resonate with? Yeah, I mean it's thank you. Um it's the it's the best term that we have that's sort of the most universally understood. You know, what men's work is to me is um gathering men together to peel off the layers of armoring that we um inevitably have cultivated um consciously and unconsciously to protect ourselves from the world. Um and and to, to start to recognize some of our own conditioning as men, the stories that we've inherited, the, the models that we've been given, um, and, um, and then to really sort of um, check in with our own authenticity and what we want to create in our lives and figure out where those are congruent and where they're not. And start to really redefine um, as men what we want and what, it, and, and what we are willing to do to create what and so often the images of the sort of macho, hyper-masculine, individualistic lone wolf doesn't need help, um, domineering, dominant sort of male um, figurehead that we have inherited 
um, is actually a pretty harmful archetype within most men's psyches and has, has guided many of us to feel isolated and alone and feel sort of not manly enough or wrong for not living up to that sort of caricature of a man. And the guys who are in some ways living up to that character are, are either in jail or should be. Um, I mean, the, the research kind of bears this out. You know, men's work is about coming together and getting honest about who we really want to be and then starting to enact that, starting to realize that um, when we talk about what we're struggling with, instead of keep it to ourselves, that there's, there's healing and there's growth and there's, there's a freedom in that. And so the men's work that I do, like you attended our men's leadership intensive, which is uh, for the brotherhood community. That's kind of our flag, our flagship offering. And it's something that I just wish every man in the universe would get to experience. I wish I could experience, but, but unfortunately I'm, you know, um, I've created it and facilitated it and it kind of helps to not know what's going to happen next. Um, so, um, but that's a, that's a weekend long journey, essentially like a 48 hour journey of just going deep into the sort of dreams and shadows of, of being a man, you know, our, our, um, our issues around trusting other men, um, our, our, our rage, our fear, our grief, our shame, our sexuality. Um, we, we just take a look at all of these things and we, we find that despite how alone that we have felt for so much of our lives and how different and weird and unique, um, that, um, that a lot of other guys have have very similar experiences or at least can very much relate to our experience. Um, and we start to sort of reconnect with parts of ourselves that are that we've we've been disconnected from for such a long time because we didn't have permission to, to sort of feel our rage, to feel our, 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 our shame, our grief, our fear, to share that, to know that that's a human experience. And then when that stuff comes online, we suddenly can start to imagine our life in a whole new way. And, and then as men, we get to, we get to build a life that is in alignment with the man that we want to be rather than the man that we were told we were supposed to be. Yeah. Well, first of all, that was, that was really beautiful. It was just like such a holistic description that I resonate very much with of just becoming, becoming the human I want to be. And there's so much to that. There's uh, emotional release and there's understanding my sexuality and there's vision and all these things. And I thought you encapsulated that really and articulated it really beautifully then the question i have because i'm trying to imagine like i was listening hearing you say that as a guy who's never done anything like that before and i'm wondering why would a person like why do you think it's important to do this work with other men what, what's different about that than doing similar type work with people of uh, any gender expression well there's a certain thing that happens and I can only speak personally from the experience, from my experience as a, um, as a pretty strictly heter sexually heterosexual man. But um, there's something that happens when you get, when I get into a group of men um, where there's no attraction energy, there's no sexual energy, there's none, there's, there's none of that running for me. Um, and so that in itself is a, is a powerful and unique environment. Um, and then um, I'm also in a group of people who can who can relate to my experience in a way that women just can't. Like um, men can relate to my experience as a man better than women, you know, 99.999% of the time. And so there's a sense of camaraderie already. There's also when I get together with a group of men, there's also the sense of competition. There's also the sense of like. There's also some old programs that already are running. And so in the presence of those things, uh, it can be incredibly powerful um, to start to sort of try out new things, to be, um, to be um, facilitated in experimenting with new ways of relating. And I think in particular, a lot of guys in this world are relying on the, the, the females in their lives, their moms and their girlfriends, or just their girlfriends or partners or wives, for like, like uh, somewhere near 100% of the sort of emotional intimacy and connection. Totally. That they're getting. And touch, I would add and to so, that too. And touch, right? And it's, it's all like, uh, all the intimacy is going into one basket, and that's an unsustainable program. Your wife, your lover, 
cannot be your mama, your counselor, and your best friend, and your lover, you know, at the same time. One of those is going to give, and it's usually the lovership it gives. And so people have these sort of um, pretty intimate, like deep friendship relationships where the sex disappears, um, and they're wondering why they are feeling so sort of like sexless in this relationship. And what we realized, what I've realized over, um, you know, 20 years of men's work, 10 years of leading men's work, is the more that I create a circle of men in my life who I can lean into and get deep emotional intimacy needs met with and can tell all my truth to who understand me and relate to me in a different way than a woman ever will and who can hold me accountable and kick my ass when I need it and love me and hold me accountable to my greatness when I need it. And then I'm no longer so dependent on my, my intimate partner for those things. And our relationship can kind of get back in its lane around what it's supposed to be, which is like a juicy sort of sexual love fest with some co-parenting or some sort of life partnership and, and, and big life decisions that we make together um, and things like that. You know, companionship. It's no longer my counseling relationship. And few men realize that they are, they're surrounded by dudes who are hungry for the same thing that they are um, and who are needing the same kind of support that they need. And it really doesn't require a whole lot of skill. It just requires a little bit of structure and commitment. Because as I, as many, many men who are listening probably know, like, you're not just going to like accidentally end up hanging out with a bunch of dudes. Right, um, right. You're going to, you're going to schedule that shit. Like if it's going to happen, you're going to put it on your calendar and you're going to make it happen. And it's got to happen on a regular basis. Otherwise it's not going to happen. Women are the ones who like make, make community things happen and, and gather. And yeah, men, you know, I, I, I applaud the men who have their like poker night and some other sort of regular sort of ways to get together with their dudes, you know, playing sports and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have something built in that's got some um, sort of emotional intimacy backbone to it, um, then you're you're likely seeing that reflected in less and suboptimal relationships um, um, outside of that. Mm, yeah, yeah, and man, I'm my I'm still very I have a long ways to go in my process of. Op- specific particularly around opening my heart around other men and feeling safe to do so actually it was um the idea spawned when i was at the staffing the last men's leadership intensive of creating a men's group in seattle with uh galen who was there also and i feel very fortunate to have a group of guys i've been meeting with every other week and it's a space that i'm beginning to feel comfortable crying in which is so new for me to cry with mm-hmm. other men and it's hard for me to even explain how nourishing it is to be emotionally intimate with men. The the feeling of being held by brotherhood uh, in a space of just the, this particular type of love and tenderness that I'm emitting and just being held so strongly in brotherhood is so uh, nourishing. And I guess I'm just feeling so emphatic about this work myself because it was like something I didn't know that was missing in my life until I began to explore it. And then I just found myself getting so uh, nourished by by this type of relating and this type of intentionality. And I would like to, frankly, give a, a massive gratitude to you, Joshua, and to um, Robert and P. Rubes, because the retreat I did with you guys was really my first introduction to men's work. And my life has just skyrocketed in, in that direction um, as, as well as other directions, but that's a very major direction. My life has skyrocketed since then. So I want to take this opportunity to give you gratitude and just let you know the, the depth of impact that you've had on, on my life and trajectory. Mm, that's really heartwarming. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. I'm so appreciating hearing that. And, and I think it's, it's one of those things. It's like a, there's a knowledge gap. Like you can't imagine you can't imagine what it's like um, until you have the experience. Like you literally, there's no, like from the side of not having had an experience of deep, powerful, intimate men's work, you literally, it's, it's hard to, ima- you can't imagine it. And then once you've had the experience, you're like, whoa, uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what that's about. You know, right. it's funny. I, I, I'm reminded of a friend who, uh, introduced me to the idea of the knowledge gap, actually, because I kept inviting him. Uh, he was facilitating these um, uh, leadership retreats that I was going to in nonviolent communication. 
And uh, we happened to have these retreats out in Calistoga near one of my favorite hot springs. And every time we would have like one of the break days, I would be like, hey, man, let's go to the hot spring. I'd love for you to you know, come out. I'd love to float you in the hot spring. And he was always like, oh, yeah, no, no, thanks. That's fine. Uh, he'd always make some kind of excuse. And then he finally came, you know, finally came. And I finally got to float him. I love giving people what to, which is just like holding them in the water, right? So I floated him for like 20 minutes and he just, just turned into like, you know, imaginal goo in the water yes, in my hand. Yeah. And he came up, you know, <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I can't believe I said no to this so many times, <laughs> you know? He's like, thank you for being persistent, you know, and for keep coming back and inviting me. Yeah. He's like, I never would have, I, I, I just, I, what we call in, in nonviolent communication, I think this, this term was coined by my teacher, Imbal Kashtan, um, but a crisis of imagination. We have a crisis of imagination where our imagination isn't vivid or accurate enough to really represent what's possible for us. And so we have to step out into some level of faith, right, in order to, to cross that gap. Um, and then when we cross the gap, then all of a sudden we have this knowledge and experience that we never could have had that completely reshapes our whole sense of what's possible. Dude, awesome. Uh, all right, man, we're running into time. And I'm curious, Joshua uh, Hathaway, where can people find you? And for what reasons might they want to look you up? Yeah, man. Um, well, um, people can find me on my website at masteryourbullshit.com. Um, it's where um, I've got a bunch of kind of communication hacks and connection hacks. Um, you can uh, just get some free videos, get connected to a little, um, some, some resources that I have available through there if you're interested in doing some coaching. Most of my coaching is with men right now, but I'm also just, I love and I'm delighted to coach women as well. Um, and just getting getting clear on where on um, you know what your purpose is, why you're here, um, what you know what kind of relationship you want to be in, how to actually actualize and and um, and create that relationship. You know the bottom line in my coaching is what is the most beautiful life you can imagine living, and who's responsible for creating that. Um, and and on the way to creating your most beautiful and amazing life, you're sure to hit some snags of old conditioning and old programs. And we get to walk you through sort of reprogramming, not just your mind and your thoughts, but your nervous system and the body through some of the somatic modalities that I use to really get you reconnected with your um, innate sort of creativity, innate freedom. And um, so that's um, through Master Your Bullshit. Then if you're a man who's interested in doing some men's work, um, please come check out the brotherhoodcommunity.com. That's just brotherhood, www.brotherhoodcommunity.com. We've got some free monthly uh, group coaching and, and uh, sort of group community call offerings that you're welcome to come and feel yourself into. We've also got a men's leadership intensive coming up here in Santa Cruz, California, uh, on Memorial Day weekend, the 24th to the 27th of May, uh, that we are very excited to be running. And we're now midstream on our first Authentic Dating Secrets um, training. And that's a 10-week long training for men um, that is uh, aimed at helping men who want to be in exquisite relationship with women, typically guys who are in the dating phase, who want to meet more women, who are terrified of approaching women, who are struggling to sort of to, like kickstart relationships with women. Um, we're just uh, taking guys from basically like lonely and hungry to, to sort of dating multiple women over the course of the 10 week series that uh, is so much about just reclaiming your primary relationship, which is to yourself. So um, that's our authentic dating secrets webinar. Um, so check that out on the brotherhood community.com as well. Feel free to send me a message to Joshua at masteryourbullshit.com um, If you're curious about any of that stuff and I'll, I'll point you in whatever direction feels right. Boom. Um, Sweet man. I will provide yeah, links to Michael. all those below. Thank you, brother. And it's, it's, been, it's been a wonderful sort of wander of a conversation as usual, as always, man. I just, I really appreciate your intelligence and your sensitivity and the realness you bring to every moment of our interactions, at least. And, uh, and I'll always look forward to more. Yeah, thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. And truthfully, I, I think I could have, I had so many questions and things I wanted to state that uh, there wasn't time for. I, I think I could have had a 10-hour conversation here. Is my estimate ten x <laughs> easily? Yeah, 
Easily, baby. I've also well, let's, uh, let's wrap around and have another conversation sometime soon. I'm, I'm totally, I'm always down to chat with you, brother. For sure, man. I've got one obscure compliment to give you also, which is I appreciate that um, you're poop positive, as seen at the beginning of this talk, which, because, you know, there's a lot of shame around uh, pooping, which is a natural part of being a human. And I think it's good to be poop positive. <laughs> It's so good to be food positive, man. I, you know, I, I, I actually have this, um, I've had this kind of, uh, I don't know if you call it a hobby, but like it's been a theme in my relationships with the women in my life to like help the women in my life to become more comfortable with their fecal matter. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, I had a girlfriend, you know, years ago, who like when we started, like she couldn't even fart, like she could never fart. Um, and like, by the time, you know, um, you know, in the, at the peak of our relationship, we were dreaming of building our like dream bathroom with toilets that face each other, you know, so wow. we could take shit together. Dude, I've yeah, wondered about yeah. that. Making eye contact while dropping a turd might be the ultimate form of intimacy. <laughs> oh, brother, it is incredibly intimate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Highly recommended for those who are ready for the deep dive. For uh, the deep dive. That's great. All right, man. I know you got to run. Thanks again, Joshua. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, be in touch uh, with you, dude. A pleasure, brother. All right, take care, man. Awesome. Be well. Hey, friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where, if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook. Let me know you did it. And then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind and vivacious life because i really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it it needs people to be at full capacity it needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity and so if i can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth then by jove man i will be a happy dude So trying to do my part here and any help, love and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.